0: Welcome to episode 64 of How About the Muskies. As always, I'm Connor, joined by Madden Andrew. And today, this is an interesting episode. The game, our previous game, is probably one of the more surprising outcomes, probably in the last couple of years at least. Number four Marquette came into Hartford to play the number one ranked Huskies, and we won 81-53. to 53. It was an absolute blowout. Nobody, you can't, you say you predicted that, you're lying. I mean, everyone thought this would be go down to the wire, two top five teams, but... No, Danny Hurley's Huskies found a way that it was close in the beginning, kind of back and forth, but we just took off at like halfway through the first half. We never looked back. It was just, it was shocking, honestly. I expected like Tyler Kolek, who was a big East player of the year candidate. He really struggled to get into that. Guys just, Mar- Marquette, I don't know if it was just our, the environment or what it was, but they did not come out with a sense of urgency. It was, it wasn't really close at all. Like At halftime, I pretty much knew it was over, which is shocking for me to say, but What was your guys' reaction? I feel like probably a little similar to mine. I mean, no one saw this coming.
1: Yeah, I actually wasn't able to watch the game, so uh, I was pretty busy. Just had to, you know, come back, repeat it, uh, see everything, look at the box score. And, you know, from a box box score perspective, this game was um, never close. Um, If you remember before the game, last episode our preview, I kind of made a few points to, you know, what we kind of needed to do and... I think we did those things really well, we'll get into it more later, but um, I think that we just executed a great game plan um, made by Coach Hurley, and I think that's what we've been doing all year. I think if we continue to trust Hurley, we'll find ourselves in a similar position last year. I mean, yeah, you can't really say much about this game. It was just an absolute
2: butt-kicking. I mean, we looked good on on every in every aspect, and like I had said in our last episode, this wasn't going to be a game where someone's going to drop 30 points with a double-double. This was going to be a game where everybody had to do their job and every single person on the team did their job. And I'm honestly, I'm just going to say this right now. I I think we're going to repeat. Nobody's stopping us. I don't care about the whole March is a different game argument. This team is dominant and just nobody's going to stop us. We're too good to be stopped right now by anybody.
1: I think a lot, like you mentioned about March, about how teams – Get upset easily. I mean, you think back to Virginia, I've been upset I don't know how many times. This team, I'm not sure it's possible for a 16 seed to beat us or any seed below a four for that to be said. I don't think that teams who, you know, barely stick in games in, you know, smaller conferences can really stick with us. Uh, our biggest struggle has always been the Big East, and now we're making the Big East look super easy. We didn't really have much trouble outside of the Big East last year or this year. Our one loss coming out of the Big East was to Kansas, and that was on the road in one of the toughest stadiums to play in in the country. So I think that as long as we don't end up playing Kansas, anywhere near Kansas, I think that you know we have a very good shot of going back-to-back. I agree. I'd love to see Kansas again, though.
0: I still feel like we're better than them, especially with Castle. But I get your point there. And also, we'll we'll get back to Marquette in a second. But since this topic was brought up, it's just historically over the past I don't know eight or so years, nine years, whatever the team that won it all like failed to get to the second weekend or something like that. I like you said, I don't think it's it's certainly possible, but I also don't think it is because it's just we have so many guys that can beat you. I'll get into it in a minute. You can have your seven foot two center go off or have. Your sharp shooting power forward, or one of your two scoring guards, or your lottery pick—one of them, even if just two of them go off—you're in a really good spot, especially against those lower-seeded teams early on in the NCAA tournament. But back to Marquette, like I said, that we don't need everyone to go off at once, and that certainly wasn't the case. We had a couple guys that kind of struggled. Alex Caravan had seven points, two for nine shooting, one to six from three. He he wasn't—I don't think he was bad, but he was certainly below his standards. But Obviously, it was enough to win. And Stephon Castle only had three points, three assists. He was he was really hot, and he kind of has cooled off a little bit. But once again, at the same point, we don't, really, don't really need him to go off because we have guys like Ham Spencer dropping his 14, Tristan Newton 15, 8, and 8. Klingon leading the team with 17 points, also 10 rebounds, his second double-double of the year. And off the bench, my player to watch for last game, so I'm going to pat myself on the back there, Hassan Diara, 14 points, five rebounds, and six assists. He was... That was easily his best game as a Husky. He went three for six from three. He was, felt like he was jacking a little bit. Not going to lie. So I, I, you don't really need DR taking six threes, but he was feeling it. He had his best game. So I'll let it slide. He was, he was awesome. He had three steals as well, all in the first half. It was just, he came in, provided instant energy. That's exactly what we need from him as a sixth man. I feel like, I mean, I I'm honestly don't know the stats of all the other six men in the Big East, but I feel like he should be conference sixth man of the year, honestly. I don't think any other guy off the bench in the big east provides the impact he does. I mean, yeah, especially in a game like this,
2: we needed that energy. And speaking of energy, it looks like that building was awesome. I know Connor you were there. Um me and Matt watched, but I mean, I heard obviously Andre was there. I heard AJ Price was there. Amecho was there. I mean, it was a stripe out which we never done, which also looked cool. So I saw that the energy in that building was unmatched, and it's exactly what we needed for that game. And obviously it helped because we beat a top five team by 28 points. So it's just awesome to see that that is back to this. You know, I remember going to games at the XL Center a couple years ago when there was like hardly 8,000 people there. And now there probably wasn't an empty space in that arena um, on Saturday. So it's it's really great to see that, and especially – Great to see it just packed like that in one of the biggest games of the year.
1: And you mentioned uh Diara off the bench. I just want to make a quick little callback to at the beginning of the year, we all did our predictions for the team. Um, one of us who isn't here today, Sarkis, uh, actually predicted Hassan Diara to be our sixth man of the year, which if you're looking at it right now, uh, I would say it's pretty unanimous uh he's been such a spark off the bench such a bright spot this year off the bench we needed someone to come in and step up with the amount of guys that we lost last year and i think tiara has slotted into that role perfectly so shout out to sarkis
0: yes definitely shout out to sarkis who's no longer with us but he's always a friend of the pod he's welcome back anytime but andrew you mentioned the stripe out it actually worked like you see pictures i expected all. Oh, no one's gonna follow this it, it looked like yeah I was like, no way.
2: I was was like, no way. Like, the old people that go to these games, they don't have Instagram. There's no way that they're going to know which section. I thought it was just going to be a sea of white and blue, like usual.
0: Yeah, you could, like, easily tell that there were supposed to be stripes. It was also weird. It was weird because, like, the stripes weren't, like, perfectly, like, white, blue, white, blue. But, I don't know. It worked out. But... We'll go back to Diarra real quick. He is certainly the sixth man of the year for this team. It's undoubted. It's undoubt undoubtedly whatever that word is. But even Samson Johnson has stepped it up a lot. He had fifty. He played fifteen minutes. He had six points, two two steals. I mean, Stewart was solid in his minutes. He took a lot of shots. He went one for five in eight minutes. But he had that nice offensive rebound put back in the first half. Solo Ball wasn't in the rotation this game, but he did come in at the end. We're up a lot and hit a three. So that's good to see. I just feel like. The depth is the only thing that concerns me a little bit on this team because we're essentially like seven and a half deep because Stewart just spells caravan for however long he needs to play. And it seems like ball is trending downwards in the minutes department. So kind of seven and a half. We'll call it eight. We'll call each of ball and Stewart a half. I Clearly it works, but I feel like there's a chance it could not. But I'm not going to doubt or second guess Hurley at all. Obviously, he knows what he's doing. He's been in the big stage before one at all last year. But if there's any, if you had to t- tell me, ask me right now, what's my biggest concern? If any, it would be our depth. Let's see what else we got here from this game. I wrote down a couple notes and looking at Donovan. I mentioned the double double. He had no fouls, which is huge. That's something I feel like kind of goes unnoticed, but He's a guy who earlier this month played, like, what, 15 minutes against Providence? Or maybe it wasn't the Providence game. There's one game he played, like, 15 minutes total because of foul trouble. That can't happen. But for him to not foul once, especially with a good big, like Oso Godaro down low for Marquette, who is known to go inside and try to draw fouls, to so not foul him once is huge. What else we got? I already talked about Cam, Tristan. Rebounds. Rebounding was huge in this game, obviously. We're a good rebounding team. We out-rebounded them 45 to 27. That's that's certainly the recipe to win by 28 points if you out-rebound your opponent by 18. And it's not just Klingon who he obviously had 10, but he's he's not usually the guy that gets a lot of our rebounds. It's a lot of Tristan Newton, who had eight. Cam Spencer, even, who had six. It's Everyone steps it up. Diara had five. Our guards, we have re- we've always at UConn had really good rebounding guards, looking at Tyrese Martin, Christian Patel, Shabazz Napier, all these good smaller players that can just crash the glass and that's certainly the same this year. The rebounding has always been strong and but I feel like it's on a different level now.
1: Yeah and I just kind of want to pat myself on the back here for a minute because um you remember last episode as well I also stated a game plan um <laughs> which had to be shut down Kolek and Igadaro and not let them get hot and we did just that. Igadaro, you know, outside of his 14 points to seven and twelve did basically nothing. He had two blocks he had four rebounds. He he was relatively quiet, uh, along with Kolak, who we mentioned, um, Stefan Castle, uh, needed to kind of shut him down. Castle didn't have the best game himself, only had three points, one three-pointer, but, uh, I mean, the difference that he made on the defensive end is invaluable and will continue to be because if you have a 6'5 point guard like Castle out there every night healthy playing his hardest, I mean nobody's gonna beat that. And he's going you know, as a lottery pick for a reason. And if you just look at this game, this game alone showed how valuable Klingon and Castle are. Um people have their doubts, people have had their doubts for all year. I mean, even in back to last year with Klingon, but shout out to Danny Hurley for correctly being able to use these guys and shout out to these guys for having the wherewithal to stick to a you know tough season. Uh right now you're 24 and two. We're in, the, we're in the final stretch here, so you just got to close it up.
0: Yeah, and what's important with Castle, I feel like, is he's so impactful on defense in a game where he scores three points. He's, that's pretty much definition of Andre Jackson for the past couple of years, a guy who doesn't need to put up double figures, doesn't even need to score five points, but he's just going to be active on defense, do all the little things, get some rebounds and assists. Uh, Before the year, I feel like we all kind of penciled in. We were like, you, you know, we all like replaced like who's going to be in what role from last year. You kind of penciled Castle into that Jackson role in the starting lineup, and I feel like he's grown into that really well. But he's also, unlike Jackson, can put up twenty like he's done a couple of times. So he's been huge. I know. I personally picked him for Defensive Player of the Year. You mentioned the uh, awards. I pulled up that post. We can go over that real quick and see how we're doing. We'll include Sark as well in our predictions. We can do a group vote to see who's doing the best. So for MVP, uh, I picked Newton. Matt, you picked Klingon. Andrew, you picked Newton. And Sark also picked Newton. (laughs) This is tough because I feel like I don't know if we have a true MVP, but I feel like it is Newton if you had to pick one. So, yeah, rookie of the year was Castle across the board. Uh, That's easy. Defensive player of the year, like I said, I had Castle. The rest of you guys had Klingon. I think it's Klingon, honestly, if you compare the two. But Castle certainly a decent defender. Diara has a case in there too, I think. Uh, you guys can also jump in anytime. I'm just going down the list here.
1: Yeah. I was gonna mention, I mean, I don't think Klingon, I mean, when he's been there, he's been super valuable, but it's just the lack of minutes and the lack of game times due to injury kind of makes it tough for him. So I mean, I wouldn't I would like I, I would say Castle just because of availability. Yeah.
0: And going back to the MVP, you did say Klingon, Matt. I mean, if you take like the word most valuable player, I feel like Klingon's the most valuable guy for the defense he brings down low. But you could also say that's not true because without him, we didn't
1: lose a game. So I don't know. You can go both ways there. My sleeper pick sort of for that would be Cam Spencer. No one said Cam Spencer. I don't think anybody was even close to saying Cam Spencer, but he has a great shot, you know, big debate for that.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at this. None of us picked Cam for any of the five awards, which certainly wrong. He's got to be somewhere in here. I said defensive player of the year. Most improved player. We were kind of all over the place for this one. I said Donovan Klingon. Matt, you said Samson Johnson, which I feel like we'll end up taking the cake here. Andrew, you said Alex Carabin, and Sark also said Samson. But Why? Why would I say Caribbean? He started last
2: year. <laughs> what? i um, we we to, I was like, what in the
1: world? You probably assumed he was going to take like an NBA level jump, which I yeah. think he sort of did in a way. Yeah, but still,
2: eh, I, don't, I don't know about most improved. As a I, mean,
0: I, I just pulled up his stats. He's uh, He averaged nine last year. 14.6 this year he's shooting the same percent from three he just says higher value in shots like last year he only took seven and only took 4.2 threes this year he's taking 10 shots and almost six threes so pretty much the same player but more value means more points but it's not a bad pick it could have been a lot worse but I feel like this has to be Samson Johnson I mean he was a complete wild card going into the year and he's more than serviceable at the center position so I, I feel like I'm sure you guys would agree that should be Samson. So another point from Matt. And then sixth man of the year, like, the re- only reason I clicked on this found this post because you mentioned it, all three of us said solo ball. And then good old Sark Diara. Solo ball is going to be a good player, but we definitely missed the mark there. But it's cool to look back on this. I honestly forgot we did this until you mentioned it, had to pull it up real quick. It'll be. Inter- I don't think it will change much at the end of the year, but we'll look back at it again after we win the title um let's see what else we got here we got a couple and before we go into our crate and preview a couple of other things i wrote down this is the first time ever a big east team has won three straight games by 25 or more obviously we beat georgetown DePaul, and marquette and all three of those teams put up the same fight against us which is funny because it's georgetown DePaul, and marquette but but i don't know it's just This team's uh, setting all these records. They're breaking all these stats. It's just, I I didn't think we'd get better than last year, but clearly we can. Unanimous for the first time. Number one AP poll, obviously, Purdue. I wrote down on my notes here, Purdue-do, because they're doo-doo. They lost to Ohio State, who fired their coach earlier this week. So that's a bad loss for them. That's worse than any of our losses. But yeah, first time you've ever been unanimous in the AP poll, number one, so that's
1: really awesome to see. It is so overdue, in my honest opinion. I feel like we are just head and shoulders above the competition. I'd Like, anything can happen in March, obviously. You can lose one game on a random, you know, whatever, in the round of 32. But it doesn't mean that you're not the best team in the country. And I think that this team is undebatably the best team in the country and has been now since that Kansas game. Because we had our blip versus Seton Hall, but what team doesn't have a blip? You know, after that, I mean, we're twenty. Freaking four and two I mean when's the last time this has happened in school history if ever so I I think that you know we are a lot better than we got credit for even going back to last year
0: and also this just shows how hard it is to get unanimous number one because we've had a lot of really good teams we've had some teams that won the title that weren't close to number one like 2014 but some others like that 99 team that I believe finished 38 and two or whatever how many however many wins in two it's just we've had some really, really good teams, never unanimous number one. So that's another thing the 2023-24 Huskies can check off. The bracket reveal from NCAA, which is kind of redundant now, I think, in a way, because we should be the number one overall seed after Purdue lost. But going into Saturday, Purdue was ranked ahead of us by the NCAA, which doesn't matter because we're still a one seed in the East region, so we still get Boston-Brooklyn. But I don't know. They had us as the one, Carolina, who we already beat as the two, Iowa State who's sneaky. All right. Sneaky. Good. They play Houston tonight. They're at the three in the east and Wisconsin who's trending downwards at the four. I feel like that's I like that path. Obviously, it's not going to be that if it is. That'd be crazy prediction by them at this point in the season. But I don't know. I think like that's a fairly easy path. But I feel like any path for this team, the way they're playing is
1: easy. You kind of hit that on the nose. And I was going to say, no matter what happens, our road is going to be easy. And that's what everybody's going to say. Regardless, you just got to beat the teams in front of you. We had a whole debate on this before where, you know, we didn't face good competition last year all the way up to the national championship. It's ridiculous. So, I mean, regardless of who we come up against, just beat them.
2: And I hope they leave for do with that one because I really want Brooklyn-Boston. I think it'll happen. Um, but, yeah, this whole debate, on who's the best, like the quad one win. So stupid. Like we are clearly the better team. Like we would hammer Purdue anywhere, in my opinion. Um, And I just, I hate the fans that like come into the post and like, there's one thing keeping uh UConn behind Purdue and it's their quad one wins or some stupid nerdy stat. So look at the teams, man. Like there's, we're so much like Matt just said, we're head and shoulders above everybody else. And I mean, everybody else. You know, there's a reason we're unanimous, but please give us Brooklyn-Boston. No flights, so Phoenix, sign
0: me up. UConn fans at every game. Yeah, definitely. That's huge, the no flights thing. But I feel like if we played Purdue, which it should have happened in the regular season, I don't know why we didn't play them, especially in the Gavit games, the Big East, Big Ten. But I feel like we're better than them, especially because they're Edie and then everyone else. But we have an ED stopper and a guy who's almost the same size as him and one of the best defenders for big men in the country in and clinging, and I feel like if you take out that matchup, our supporting cast, if you will, is significantly better than Purdue's, even though they got some solid guys. But the way we've been playing, I'd take our guys, I'll say, nine times out of ten. There's, there's always, like you said, there's always going to be a blip in there. A couple more things till Creighton. Oh, something very interesting that came out. I believe it was Saturday. It might've been Friday. I don't remember, but college game day is coming to stores next weekend for the Villanova game. It's that's interesting for a reason because obviously we all know the media deals, the ESPN doesn't, doesn't, they don't really have big East. They don't prioritize it. We're a Fox conference, Fox sports, Fox national. So it's not every day you see ESPN game day travel to a big East school, but I don't know. It's long overdue. We're the best team in the country. And it's, I don't want to say ESPN's like, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, not that they're giving in like, Oh, we shouldn't go here, but we kind of have to, but I don't know. It's just really, it's going to be really cool for like the students and everything just to see the pregame show for the day of college basketball at Campbell Pavilion and against Villanova, which even though they're not as good as a Villanova teams have been in the past, like Probably even before since we got in the Big East, like when they won titles, but it's still a national name and one of our biggest rivals in the conference. So it should be a great game, night game at Gamble Pavilion on a Saturday. We don't, I don't remember the last time we had that, or at least had that that wasn't against like Tulane or something. But yeah, college game day coming to stores. And I mentioned Tulane. That reminds you of an era, the AAC. Who was our coach? Who was our coach in the AAC? Let's play a game for the most of it. Coach Kevin Ali. Coach Kevin Ollie, who is no longer with us, but he's now the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, or at least interim head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, he's, I don't know. It's good. obviously good for him. I'm not going to say anything negative about that. He, he certainly worked for this position out after us. He was at OTE, Overtime Elite, and then I believe this season he took a spot with the Nets as an assistant, and now they fired their head coach because they're not doing so well, and he's taken over head coach for the rest of the year. He's always seemed like a guy that's more of an NBA guy than a college guy. I feel like the recruiting wasn't his strongest his strongest area, which obviously you don't you – get. I mean, I guess a little recruiting in the NBA for free agents, but not really at all compared to college where you got to, like, build rosters. But, yeah, that was, that's – I figured he'd be an NBA head coach at some point. I mean, maybe the Pistons job when it opened up or something like that, but I don't know. It's just still weird to say, especially because how his time with UConn ended – how he was like clearly on the, the downhill going down. He had like last year was like 14 and 18 or something. It's just to see where he was then and now less than what, six years later, he's an NBA coach. It's just a little mind boggling, but good for Kevin Ollie. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say anything
2: negative about the guy. Obviously you're watching this podcast, you know, you basketball, you know how things happen, but I, about the game day thing, I I, I think it's really cool for, People that have stuck around all four years, like especially the students, like our good friend Kyle Garab, like he's a senior, he's graduating, um, and I think it's really cool because obviously we won the championship last year, but there were two years before that where we were first round exits, um, I just I think it's really cool for those those people who stayed around as students to get this um this like reward in their last semester, and I think it's just really cool to bring a lot of attention to us because obviously even though we're better than all of them, they the big media platforms are still gonna talk about Kentucky and Duke, even though they're overrated as hell. Um and they'll never really spot like spotlight us because we're not a that bright name in bright lights, even though we are a blue blood. Um, but I think it's really cool that they're coming and I think it's gonna bring a lot of light to us. And I just I think it's awesome in general that game day is coming back to stores because when the heck was the last
0: time? Like two thousand nine i do know that i believe the first ever game day in 2005 was there we certainly had it since then i don't know when the last one was it's been a
2: long time but i just Mm -hmm. think it's it's really cool and i really wish i was there to see it but i hope that everybody that goes has a great time because it's very cool to see
1: yeah i just wanted to touch back on the ollie thing one more time before we moved on to we're kind of jumping all over the place here but um we were kind of Chopping it up before uh, the podcast, Connor and I, I don't know if Andrew, you were here yet, but we were kind of going back and forth on whether or not um, the recruitment was his fault. Was it more his fault? Was it more the American's fault? And I think that debate um, still kind of holds up. I don't really think there's much proof outside of our last year in the American where we were, you know, on a great run there, beating three ranked teams a month. Um, But. You know, but before that, it was kind of just like up and down. I mean, in my opinion, James Booknight was kind of the one who started to turn us around. I don't know if that's, you know, the ultimate truth. If people looked at Booknight and thought, hey, like I could be just like him or, you know, whatever the deal was. But um, it, it really is interesting to me, at least, how much changed right when we left. And I think Ali... I mean, you don't win a national championship from being a slouch. It it doesn't happen. So I think he definitely, you know, has the X's and O's down. You know, he might not be the most personable coach coming to your home and meet your family kind of guy, but he's a basketball coach. And I think that's, you know, why he's going to do good in the NBA.
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel like you mentioned Book Night was kind of the turning point. I feel like. Ollie's last – we'll do it like a slope. Hopefully this is right, like mirrored on the camera. But we were up here after winning it all, slowly going down, then Ollie's fired, then Hurley slowly going up, and now we're outside on the roof. But, yeah, all in all, we'll close this point happy for him. It's overdue. He's. I don't know if he'll keep – maybe if he does good enough and keeps the job. It's just an interim position. He's only guaranteed the rest of this season – but we've seen in-rim head coaches around basketball get hired. So hopefully it's the start of a new new journey for Kevin Ollie. This has been one of our longer episodes. We're just now getting into the Creighton preview, which is I'm sure why a lot of you clicked this video. But this is going to be one of our toughest tests of the year, maybe outside of Kansas so far. But number 15 Creighton on the road. It's a top 25 team away from UConn or not neutral. So we're going to start out with another guessing game with you guys. Do you guys know when the last time, we'll just tell you a year, the last time we won against a ranked team on the road? Any guesses?
1: Um, My best guess would probably be, had to have been before our 14 championship. I, I would assume 09. That would be my guess. I would have to
2: – yeah, I would have to say '09 9 as well. Probably against like a team like Pittsburgh or something
0: like that. You got – you're you're overshooting a little bit. It's been since 2014.
2: Okay. Which, hold on hold, yeah. on, hold on. Who was that against? I was – I
1: literally had.
0: I'll give you the date. It was January, 6th, January 16th, 2014, so it was in the title year. Houston? Houston, I would say. Natty? Wichita State Memphis? Memphis. Memphis. 116-14 at Memphis. Oh and 20 since then I knew it. against top 25 teams on the road. That's even including when we're the higher ranked team, obviously, which we are now against Creighton. Who was on that Memphis team? Who was on that Memphis team? Let's see. I mean 2013 slash. I don't remember this game at all. I don't really remember much from that season, to be honest. But let's see. Anyone of note?
1: We were eleven years old.
0: There was no NBA players on that team. Interesting. Who was their who was their guy? Joe Jackson. Mm. Averaged 14 points per game. So we clearly contained Joe Jackson that game. But <laughs> back to Creighton now. Obviously as we've seen them already. They came to Gamble about a month ago or so and we embarrassed them they scored less than 50 points for a team that averages 80 we won 62 to 48 i I'd, I'd be shocked if we we're not going to embarrass them obviously i'd be shocked if we hold them under like in that 50 point range i i expect them to score at least 70 this time around especially at home the way they've been scoring recently but how's what's your guys i always do this. what's your guys like initial like reaction how you guys feeling? going into this game it's kind of a quick turnaround playing the number four team in the country and then what three days later you're playing the number 15 team in the country this time on the road so it might be tough How how you guys feel
1: in my opinion this is my brutally honest opinion as long as steven ashworth is starting i do not think they have a chance um, of beating us we are just way too versatile we are way too big way too strong and i mean we Hit from all cylinders. I, I just don't think someone that small can really start a game for them and, you know, make a massive impact. Last game, he shot five of 15, two of eight from three. He had 14 fraudulent points. So I don't know if I'm just being a hater or if this is, you know, just the truth. But with our starting lineup, I don't think there's a chance that someone who's six foot one comes out there and really helps them at all.
2: Yeah. I think this is a year we went in Omaha for the first time ever, because I just, I, I agree with Matt. They're not good. They're not very good anymore. They're, they're pretty good, but they're not that elite team that they once were. And I agree with the whole Ashworth thing. I mean, coming into a lineup that like, I feel like our average height's like six, eight or something like that, but having him in there, obviously that game, he was just shooting for the hell of it. Um, but I think we're the much better team, and fans can only take you so far. It'll be a closer game, obviously, than last time. But we'll we'll handle them. I think no problem in the end.
0: Yeah, historically, like you said, we've never won at Creighton. they have only played what three games there, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe even two. Of, I I lose track how long you've been in the Big East. But with Creighton, they're not. They don't have a lot of depth. Last game, they had four guys play at least 37 minutes out of the potential 40 in the game they won by 20. So even when they're up a lot, they're just playing their starters pretty much the whole time. Kalkbrenner played 38 minutes, which is very interesting because I don't think there's ever a world where we're playing Donovan Kling in 38 minutes. So that's a, not saying we need to, but that's just props to him, Kalt Brenner for being able to play that long as a seven-footer. But you mentioned Ashworth. He played 37 minutes last game. Baylor, Shireman, and Trey Alexander did not come out. Of their last game, and they both did very well. Shireman's been on a bit of a hot streak. He had a triple-double two games ago. I believe it was against Georgetown. And then against Butler in their last game, he had 27 points, 10 rebounds. So he's certainly, I feel like, the guy you have to watch out for the most. But they certainly have a lot of weapons that can beat you.
1: Yeah, and their big three is phenomenal, no doubt. Shireman, Alexander Kalkbrenner, I mean, they match us up pretty perfectly. I mean take calc out there and you could throw him on Kling. and you take alexander out there and i mean he's not going to defensively hound him but i mean he's going to give castle problems and then shireman up, like it, it's just like who do you double team who do you stop so i mean the defense is going to have to show up just like it did last game i'd say there's no chance they score below 50 points again let alone 60 i think this one could be more of a shootout on their turf um but like i said i mean you just got to find ways to stop this big three
0: yeah, a big three that all average at least 17 points per game. I don't have the data in front of me, but I doubt there's another team in the country that has three guys averaging that many points. They don't have much after those three. that You mentioned Ashworth, he's averaging 10. No one else is even close to double digits, so it's really a top-heavy team. But, yeah, we stopped them in that first matchup, which was really impressive because if you add up those averages between those three, that's more than what they scored against us in the first game. Let's see. They combined out of the 48, because Ashworth had 14 to that 48, you have to remember. So out of the 48, they combined for 11, 12, that's 23, 29 points total. And they combined to average over 50. So we're not going to combine for those that trio to score less than 30 points. Again, it, one of them alone could score 30 points, but I don't know. It's always tough to win on the road. We, we say that, but we said that. Against Georgetown, it's tough to win on the road. We're going to win no matter what. DePaul, we're going to win no matter what. But this one, I don't know. I, I I, don't know. I feel like we were making our predictions earlier in the Big East play when our next loss would be. A lot of us said either the Marquette game or this game. I I didn't think, honestly, we'd get to the point where that'd even be an option. I thought we'd certainly drop one of the last 14. But, yeah, I don't know. We're certainly really hot, but this could easily be a game that we don't win, but let's just get the players to watch. I mean, who who are you keeping an eye on for this game? Like, matchups-wise, like, I'll let you guys kick it off, and I got
1: mine. I'm going to roll with Donovan Klingon in this one, just because, obviously, that calc matchup is tough, and Donovan Klingon has been on an insane run here. So, my opinion, I think we go where Donovan goes this game. We kind of like he's going to be the leader. So, in my opinion, I think, you know, if Klingon has a big game, we win this game.
2: Mine's kind of confusing, but I'm going to see if you guys can kind of, like, keep with it. So, it's going to be whoever's not being guarded by the big three in the starting lineup. I mean, I feel like, obviously, Carl is going to guard Klingon. I feel like Shireman would guard um, Caravan. And then Alexander would guard Spencer at Castle, which leaves New Inner Castle, Newton and Spencer, either – either one of the two who aren't guarded by the big three is going to be my player to watch. So little, little confusing, but it's, I I hope you guys understand. Cause it's like, obviously they're a very top heavy team Ashworks time. Ty- I mean, I'm hit. He's as tall as me. So he's obviously not big in terms of basketball. So it's, it's whoever's not guarded by the big three. is going to be my guy to watch.
0: Yeah, I understand. I feel like they almost have to throw Ashworth on cam because if you throw Ashworth on Tristan Newton or Castle, it's not going to be a good day for him. It's not be a good day for him defensively, no matter what. But putting him on a guy who's four or five inches taller, as opposed to three, which isn't a lot, but still, I feel like so. I feel like Cam is one for your theory, and I feel like Mason Miller will guard Caravan, the true force. So maybe not, but I feel like Caravan and Spencer, the two you're kind of highlighting there. But my player to watch kind of goes along with Matt. So We mentioned Kalkbrenner plays like pretty much the entire game. Klingon does not – Samson Johnson's going to have to step it up. He got, he played 23 minutes against Creighton last time, did solid four points. did a four fouls. But we're going to need some – especially on the road, Klingon, maybe he'll get into foul trouble early. Fingers crossed he won't. But you're going to need Samson to hold his own for however long we need him in there at center because this is a game you're not going to see really Alex Caravan at the five like you've seen a little bit this year. You just can't do that against Paul Brenner. But, yeah. Samson Johnson certainly is going to have to, one, stay out of foul trouble, and two, just do what he does best. Don't try to like do, be more than what we need him to be. He's just a guy to grab rebounds, alter shots. Just be Samson Johnson, and we'll be okay. And I think that'll finally do it for this episode. One of our longest ones in a while. We had a stretch of some shorter ones, but this is a lot to talk about. Probably the most we have going to talk about all year with all the lack of a better term, junk in the middle between the preview and the and the recap. But this is the fun part of our season. This is the Marquette, Creighton, Villanova. After that, we have Seton Hall, all these big, real big East school, Well, Creighton's not a real big East school. But all these good big East schools, I'll say. We've been waiting for this. We, we're done with the DePaul's. We're done with the Georgetown's. It's just all high competitive basketball the rest of the way. And I'm I'm excited for it. Even win or lose, I'm just excited to see the Huskies play because they're they're entertaining. You gotta, you there's no arguing that. I mean, they're they're gonna put up a fight no matter what. We haven't lost at full strength. They're not gonna lose against Creighton. I'm not even gonna put that thought in my mind. But yeah, I think that'll do it. Episode sixty four, which is crazy to say. Episode sixty five up next. We'll we'll certainly recap this Creighton game and preview. The one against Villanova, a little more in-depth. That was a close game against Nova last time, so that preview should be interesting. But, yeah, until then, thanks for watching.